0: And I just highlighted all of these, uh, this list of twenty-one sins that Paul lists. And I, I didn't know this, and I looked, and after I highlighted it, I put insert numbers, use numbers for bullets. And I noticed there was twenty-one of them. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, hey, that's a good idea to bring to twenty twenty-one. And I got to doing this with other lists, other things that I've looked and discovered. Did you know that there were from 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 C to C? In the Old Testament, what the New Testament calls the church in the wilderness, from Red Sea to the Jordan River, Red Sea to the Jordan River, water to water, sandwiched in the middle of that. Guess how many rebellions there were? Aha, 21 times Israel rebelled while they were in the wilderness. Count them up. You also then look at, I, I didn't get this on my own. I, I got this off of uh, some other book or something I was reading. You look at Jeroboam, the the wicked king who rebelled and, and uh, led the kingdom north. Took 12, 10 tribes of Israel and, uh, up north. Then the northern part of Israel, you know, the monarchy split. Jeroboam, that first king, built the two golden golden calves. He said, "It's too much for you to go down to Jerusalem worship here. These golden calves are your gods." And the people did. After Jeroboam, the kings that reigned in his reigned after him over Israel. There are twenty one mentions. To the sins of Jeroboam. Talking about the kings and the people that would follow after Jeroboam. 21 references to the sins of Jeroboam. Then you have Daniel, who didn't sin, but he fasted and prayed for the sins of his people. And how many days did he do it? 21 days. So I'm sure there's more out there. Maybe we'll discover some more and bring them to your uh, attention here on Spirit Signal. But yeah, 21, it is connected to sin and rebellion. Sin and rebellion. And I I know what you're thinking here. Justin Gleason, oh my God, it is New Year's. It's the time to be talking about resolutions. I want you to teach me how to lose 21 pounds, okay? I want to know how to lose 21 pounds. I want to know how I can get 21 new followers on my Instagram. And maybe you're a guy out there and you're like, hey, Gleason, can you give me some tips on how to ask 21 questions for that girl I like? Look, I'm a preacher. And a podcast host. I'm not a health nut. You want to know what I had for breakfast? A cookie, a cookie and a cup of coffee. Okay. Uh, yeah. We'll leave it at that. And I'm not 50 Cent. I'm Justin Gleason. Reading to you from Second Timothy chapter 3. This is Apostle Paul, the bishop of the Gentile New Testament church at that time, writing to a disciple he made who groomed him, prepared him to be a pastor. And he was a great pastor. Paul says to his young preacher, and Paul would write it to us today, the same thing, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, uh. headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further and their folly will will be manifest to all, as theirs was was also. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which had been to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of all of them the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing that from you you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by interpretation of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Whew. Man, I almost just want to read that to you all again, like 25 times, just, just the rest of this episode. Just read this and read this and read this. It's, it's powerful, but not only that, it's just very clear. It's very direct. And a lot of times I've learned that the writings of Paul, it requires a lot of explanation and interpretation and application whenever you preach and teach from uh, the Holy Scriptures, his letters. But this is very simple and very straightforward. It's a prophecy about what um, men in the church, and I guess women, we could apply this to women, of course. What but it's mostly directed at men, the leader the 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 leadership in the church throughout Asia Minor at that time. And Paul lists 21 things that the church will see uh in the in the church, and of course outside of the church. This has to do with with everybody, anybody you're associated with, and he lists 21 things. Then, in perilous times, people would rise up and be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power, those who creep into households and make captives gullible women, always learning, never coming to the knowledge of truth. 21. There's no way that's a coincidence. And I get the feeling we're going to be seeing a lot of this in 2021. I think the kind of the fear and the hunkering down that was in 2020, uh, it's kind of over. People are ready to get out and, and start their carnality again. Now you're the are in the wake of the inauguration of biden and harris and the major headline in the apostolic churches god is still on the throne god is still on the throne and in scrolling through social media hearing other people talking i'm thinking to myself man i haven't heard you say that since obama was president uh did god step off the throne when trump was in office Uh, Did the Lord cease from having the government upon his shoulders when uh, Trump was in the Oval Office? I don't think so. I guess sometimes it takes a very liberal liberal president president for us to realize and to be reminded that God sits on the throne no matter who is elected. No matter who is duly elected. No matter who is deceitfully elected. Doesn't matter. We can't be forgetting this. God is on the throne no matter what. The Lord Jesus Christ has been given all power, all authority, and he alone sits on the throne. One sits on the throne, one Lord, one Savior, one God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he cannot be overthrown. Jesus cannot be voted out, even when Antichrist, the man of sin, appears. God is still on the throne. And if Satan himself can ascend up into the heavens, up above the stars, up above the throne of God, and be cast down like Ezekiel prophesied, neither can the son of perdition, the beast. The end is not now. The end is near. Yes, Satan is preparing this world for the beasts. And the kings of this earth are drinking the wine and getting very drunk with the great whore, Mystery Babylon. Having a president like Donald J. Trump is a rare, rare, very rare, rarer than eating a delicious medium-rare steak, a delicious Kansas City strip. It is more rarer than that, to have a president like that. It is a luxury. It is a delicacy. It's time for us to snap back and realize what is normal in this world, that Satan is the prince and the power of the air, and he's doing everything he can to gather together the nations unto unto himself, and erase their border, erase their identity, erase their culture, and bring it all under one, because Satan doesn't want nations. God created nations. God established borders according to the book of Acts. But one day, the Lord will rule the earth and the fullness thereof completely and totally for him. It's going to happen for a thousand years. And Satan wants to take control of that and have that for himself even before all of that. That's why he is after Israel, because God has promises to Israel. That is why he is after his church, because God has made promises to his church. And Satan wants to make God look like the liar. He wants to make God look like the one who can't keep his promises. But when the appointed time comes, the Lord will pull back the curtain. And like Isaiah said, they will see Satan. They will see the man of sin. They will see all the kings who were deceived by them. And they're going to look and say, was really this it? This was it? I went to hell for this? I didn't follow the truth for this? I got to spend an eternity for this? That's exactly what it's going to be for this. So your answer is not gay rights. Your answer is not exalting transgender people. Your answer is not having free drugs. My free drugs. Biden, Harris, they're going to give me my drugs. It is in none of those things. It is time to open up your eyes and realize that politics is never about what you want. It is only about what is possible. But with God, what is impossible can be possible. We need God in this time. That's what we need to do. Look through history. Anytime there was pandemics, troubles, the people that ran to their politicians and ran to their governments for help and security and and, and treated them as if they were some savior, those nations don't exist anymore. But the nations who call out to God survive. The countries who call out to Jesus Christ, those are the ones that make it during dark times. So it's time to open up your eyes. It's time for you to wake up and realize that God has never left his throne. He has never left his place of authority, but he is still there, and he is not enthroned in judgment. But the Bible says that the Lord is enthroned in his mercy. You think about that, his throne. It is supposed to be a place of judgment. It is supposed to be a place of telling people that you are judged for all eternity. That day is coming, but right now that throne, it is enthroned in mercy. There is mercy there for you. And if you need the mercies of the Lord, mercy is not getting what you deserve. You and I deserve to be on that cross, but the Lord hung and died on that cross for us. You and I should have been buried in that tomb, but the Lord was buried there for us. You and I should have went to hell for three days and three nights, but the Lord went there for us. It is only by the mercies of God that the United States of America even exists because of our sin, because of our perversion, because of our abortions, because of our immorality, because of our godless thinking, this country should have dropped off. ...into the ocean a long time ago. We should have been blown to bits a long time ago, but because we have a destiny upon our land, we have a destiny upon our people, and there is a church crying out to God, give us a space, give us a time, give us a purpose, don't let it be the end just now, Lord, but perhaps give us a little bit of a space for us to bring again another revival of spirituality, another revival of sacrifice, another revival, amen, that believes in the sanctity Of human life and another revival that will preach and to teach save yourself from this untoward generation. It is time to run to a merciful Jesus. It is time for us to run to a merciful God. It is time for us to seek favor in His eyes. It's time to wake up. It's time to get out of your sleep. We were comfortable for too long, and it took a pandemic to wake us up, it took a stolen election to wake us up. And who knows what else is coming to wake us up, to pray, to
1: read the word, to fast, to study, to pay tithes, to get loyal, to get back to where we need to be in God. I'm Justin Gleason. I didn't come to podcast today, but I came to preach and to teach that Jesus is Lord forevermore.
0: What are some signs that you need to look for that they are interested? You know, I don't believe that as some guys and girls do this, uh, you have to have a certain personality for it. I know I did, but not everybody's like me in that you, it's, it's hard to express how you feel to somebody. It's, it's very difficult when you have feelings (laughs) for somebody, you like somebody in your youth group or another church or whatever. Uh, By the way, if you're apostolic, you need to date an apostolic. It's forbidden. To date a non-apostolic, 1 Corinthians 7. You have to marry in the Lord. If you want to marry in the Lord, you need a date in the Lord. might be another reason to break up, okay? Or do a little flirt to convert. If it works, it works, all right? So anyway, but when you have feelings for somebody, it's very difficult to act normal. It just is. (laughs) When you have feelings for somebody, you will begin to behave strange, and it's a sign to yourself you really like them when you start to behave strange. And you know what? It's very difficult to conceal. Your friends will see it. Your family will see it. Everybody will see it. Your pastor will see it. There's just that look that both guys and girls get when they get around the person they like. They get this look in their eyes and they they start doing the twitch and they, they can't sit still and they just say unusual things. It, it's just difficult to act like a normal human being when you're around the person you like. People just naturally uh, act awkward. I, I don't know if that's the way God made it or, or whatever. I don't know, but it's very difficult to act normal. Keep your composure when you have feelings for somebody. Uh, initially it's just the sparks, you know, that we call it. it's just those, those feelings, uh, you get deep down in your soul, uh, for somebody. Um, am I saying that you have to act odd to know that they're the one for you? No, you don't, no, you know, I don't even think you have to have sparks. Uh, To know that person is for you, it's not imperative to have those feelings, because after all, marriage is not based upon feelings. It's about vows. It's about commitment. It's about making an effort uh, to keep love in your marriage. But I think initially, to have a good dating experience, you want to have good history with this person. You know, when you've been married thirty years, you want to look back and say, in the beginning of it all, that those were feelings were real, and we still have those feelings. So you, you want to have those. They're not imperative. Uh, But those uh, feelings do certainly bring those people together. So I've noticed this. It, It happened for me. It happens for other guys. I know that when they get around the girl they like, they are all of a sudden unusually kind. They're all of a sudden unusually helpful. Okay, it's like these guys who are just happy to get a D plus in school. Uh, they get around the girl they like, they figured out she's a straight A student and oh, all of a sudden they want to start studying for tests. (laughs) Can we get together and do homework together? You know, I really could use your help. You know, I heard you're really smart and I need a good tutor. You know, all of a sudden they, 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 all of a sudden want to better themselves, which is a good sign by the way, but they just become, uh, overly kind. You know, they want to, they want to buy her coffee and they're very quick to compliment her on how nice she looks. Uh, they, they're just unusually very, very sweet. And that's a good thing. You want to be that way, and girls appreciate that. Let me, let me tell you something. Girls like nice guys. Girls like nice guys. You, guys, you need to figure that out really quick. Be nice. Be kind. It makes them feel safe. It makes them feel secure. It makes them feel like they can trust that guy. So learn to be kind. Learn to be as sweet as can be. And the, the way you treated her when you first liked her, you need to treat her that way for the rest of your lives. That kindness. That kindness will solve a lot of problems. If you're married now, guy, and you're having problems, you probably got a kindness problem. You have a nice problem. Use kind words. Use kind actions. Uh, it'll, ma- it'll make her day. Believe me. But then you have the girl. How does she act? I don't think girls act nice around the guys they like. Usually, the girl ends up being really mean to the guy she likes. So, guy, don't take that as a mixed signal. If she's being mean to you, it's a good sign she likes you. Now, if she's ignoring you, ghosting you on Instagram, direct message, yeah, she doesn't like you. But... If she's always there, always talking to you, always around you, and she's really mean, don't take that as she doesn't like you. She likes you. It's a defense mechanism. It's kind of a way to deviate from her true feelings because it's really, it's a big thing to put your heart out there. That is a big step in a dating relationship when you open up and tell each other how you really feel. And I think a girl a a lot of times ends up being really mean to the guy Uh, just as a defense mechanism. So if she's really mean guys, it's okay to tell her you like me, don't you? You're into me and watch all of a sudden her eyes will start to sparkle and she'll say, yes, I do. (laughs) Anyway, uh, guys, you need to become really certain uh, about this. If you develop feelings for a girl, you need to think about that and pray about that and get some counsel in that. You know, there's, yeah, I like this order. Dating, become official, whatever, court, get engaged, have a wedding, get married, all of that life together. That's a, good, that's, a, that's a good schedule. That's a good order to do things. But even before dating, I think there's just that that season of you need to know for sure before you ever even really start to spend quality time together. And that comes through, I think, prayer, observation, and wise counsel. You know, when you go up and, and, tell, and, and ask a girl for her time, uh, ask a girl for her affection, open up your heart, you need to go into it already certain uh, that, that that's the right thing to do. So, and, and plus, girls really want a guy who is certain. Uh, you, you've seen it. It's getting more and more popular, these people that get engaged and don't set a wedding date. They're like engaged for, you know, three years and shacking up with no wedding date. That, that is, you're doing it wrong. Uh, that's the way of the world. That's the way of Satan. God's way is to be certain. Uh, don't have a prolonged engagement, but rather set a date, be intentional, and start your life together. That's how God's designed it to be. You know? Uh, so you need, the more certainty, the better. Uh, a sign you're not in a good relationship, if there's, if there's all these question marks, you need to be going for exclamation points. Okay? You need to get certain about it. Do you, do you like her? Figure it out. Do you love her? Is she the one for you? Now, get certain about it, and she'll follow you. She'll be loyal to you. Get certain about it. Let's talk about uh, some signs that God is in it, signs to observe that you are in the will of God. After all, God rarely ever just opens up the clouds and speaks to a guy or girl and, and says, thus saith me, thou shalt marry she. You know, it just doesn't work that way. You, God's will is often not spoken, but rather God's will is seen. God's will is seen uh, for many people. So there's a couple things you need to look at. If you're interested in this person or if you're actually dating this person to, d- to determine if it's the will of God, if they're the one, all of that, you need to um, take a close look at your spirituality and their spirituality. Ask yourself, since I've been with this person, has my relationship with God increased or has it decreased? You know, am I motivated to walk with God? Are they motivated to walk with God? Because God's will will naturally gravitate a closer relationship to Him. You'll be drawing closer to the Lord. Uh, That person should motivate you to want to live for God and serve the Lord and be involved. Okay? So ask yourself that. If the answer is no, uh, it's, it, it, you probably should break up. It's just how it is, You're out of the will of God. Okay, let's say things are good with God. Well, now ask yourself, are things good with my pastor or do I find myself avoiding my pastor? Probably because you got stuff to hide. You know, are things good with my church? Am, 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 I, uh, am I good with my church? Okay, that's a big one. Do you find yourself dropping out of church things or do you find yourself getting more involved in church things? How's your relationship with your friends? Or do all of a sudden now you have no friends and it's only about this person? Um, that's not a good sign. Uh, that's not a good sign. If the whole scenery of your life just begins to change, maybe th- there's a lot of things I'm sure you need to change. And maybe perhaps you have some friends you shouldn't have and you're dating the, the right person and a good person. And you need to drop those friends, but I'm talking about the core people in your life. Do you all of a sudden like hate them now? Do you have animosity against them now? Okay, maybe you do. It, you know, a lot of times you see girls that have a hard time finding a date and find, and getting married. It's probably because they got a bad uh, friendship with a, with another girl, a girl who is jealous of any guy that comes into their life and scares them off. Uh, girl, if you if you have a a friend who is who is mean and hideous to any guy that comes around, you you need to drop that friend. You need to get rid of that friend. That friend is a problem for you. She really is. Think about that. So your pastor, your church, your friends, your family, all of that. Do you find yourself closer to them in this relationship or more distant from them? Do you find yourself more associated with your inner circle or more disassociative with your inner circle? Those could be signs that God is in it or not in it. Uh, Does this person also, uh, is this person motivating you to, to better yourself? OK, uh, do, you, do you find yourself wanting to make better grades uh, to pursue a great career, uh, to be involved, to to have children, to uh, be a fam- to have family, to make it in this life? If they're challenging you to have good ambitions, inhibitions, all of that, that's a good sign. God is in it. But if you find yourself going from A's to getting straight F's. If you find yourself from being on the front row of the praise team to the back row of the sanctuary, you're, you know, it just, dating in the will of God will motivate you to want to live life as abundantly as you can. But if you find yourself being lazy, you find yourself forgetting about all your hopes and dreams, you find yourself just really slowing life down, having major setbacks, you're not dating in the will of God. God's will for you is to move forward. God's will is for you to achieve. And if this person that you're with, this guy or girl, helps you to want to achieve, you're dating in the will of God. There's many things, and I could go on and on, but I'll just end it with this. Signs that God is in it. Do you see yourself losing your individuality? Do you see yourself saying, you know what? It's not about what I want. It's about what this person wants. It's about him and her losing their individuality and becoming one to operate as one. If you have that, you're headed into a very, very healthy relationship. Because let me tell you, desperation rarely ever gets God's attention. And if you're desperate, you're probably going to date really bad. You're going to date really bad. I don't care how old and single you are. Desperation is rarely ever going to get the attention of God for marriage. It'll get, the, it'll get the attention of God for a miracle of healing. It really will. But I've never seen somebody who is desperate and going to every singles conference and trying to meet every person that they can and put themselves out there. Rarely does uh, God work and operate with that. That's not really faith and trust in God. You want to get God's will in your dating, in your marriage, all of that? Start having faith. Start having trust in God. Start believing God for it. And then, yes, go everywhere you can to meet somebody. He's not going to send somebody your way if you stay locked away in your house and wear nothing but a bathrobe and pet your cats and eat soup all day. No, you need to dress up nice Need to go to good places and meet good people, and that's how the will of God is performed in your life for who you are dating. That's how it works. That I can tell you. Believe me. Uh, Like I said, dating's hard. And here's some reasons it may not be working out for you right now. Uh, A problem that I see is girls who have too many guy friends and vice versa. Guys who have too many lady friends. Uh, Guys can't say girlfriend. If a guy says she's my girlfriend, that means they're in a dating relationship. So I guess lady friend is a more appropriate term. But it, you know what I'm talking about? It's these girls that you, you look and you see them sitting down, eating their lunch, drinking their coffee, and they're at a table with like seven to nine other guys and no other girls. Or you, you see a guy, he's always uh, hanging out, posting pictures of himself on Instagram. He's riding in a car with four other girls, no guys. And it's, it's always that way. It's, it's the girl that always has only guy friends and the guy that has always only girlfriends. You know what? I, I've I've observed this through the years. I remember observing this when I was a kid. I, I just observed this. These guys that are like, you know, we're just friends. We're just friends, and it's like, do you not have guy friends? And I would see this with girls. It was always just, oh, he's just my guy friend, you know. And and I just want to say to these girls, how is it that you're only friends with guys and you have no friends with girls? And then I would say to guys, how come is it that you only have friends with girl? You're only friends with girls, but no friends with guys. And after observing this, and I'm sure there's many reasons for this, many explanations for this, a maybe even, worst-case scenario, many excuses for this is, I think what it is, it's people are doing this to cover up having to get into a real relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. That's how it really is. It's It's girls out there that... Oh, oh, that's good coffee. It's girls out there that have no confidence in themselves to really attracting a good guy. And so they know it takes a lot. That's a deeper level of a relationship. So they find their self-confidence and their self-esteem in just having guy friends. And in a way, they just, on a 1 to 10 scale, flirt at the number one, number two way, two level for that guy. And it's just like a, relation, a friend relationship. And they're just afraid to get into a serious relationship with a guy. But, oh, they got to have, you know, that guy company out there. And I think guys are doing the same thing with just having uh, friends with girls. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, growing up, I, I had a few friends that were girls. But my closest friends were guys. And that's because I knew that one day I wanted to have only one girlfriend. I only wanted to have one girl that I share my hopes and dreams with, that I share my life with. And that is a good boundary and a good balance to have. It just seems like the girls that have a ton of guy friends, they have a hard time dating. They have a hard time getting married and vice versa. The guys who have no guy friends, but a ton of girlfriends, they have a hard time finding that right one. Uh, It's just the way it is. It's just a psychological cover up and really it's a way of the world. And I don't think that's a good practice to, to get into. You're not setting yourself up. To find that true special person. It's, it's a very difficult, you're putting yourself in a difficult situation for God to have his will and his way in your life in getting married. So you might want to think about that, girls. You might want to cut back on how close you are to other guys that you have no intention of dating. And guys, you might want to cut back on your connection with girls that you have no intention of dating. You need to reserve your heart and your affections with a person of the opposite sex, just one of them, just one of them reserve those feelings for them, reserve the time with them. Because let me tell you what, when you get married guys, there ain't having no, uh, let's go hang out with my friends that are girls, my ladies' friends. That ain't going to work. Not going to work. Not a good boundary. And girls, if you have a ton of guy friends and you get married, there's not going to be no, go hang out with the guy friends. It's just not the way it is. That is an unhealthy boundary. It's a practice of the world, and the world is the world, and the world has what the world has. We are the church. Uh, we do things differently. So, yeah, you need to back off, assess that thing. It could be the reason that you're single and you don't want to be single and very unhappy, okay? So that's a reason maybe dating's not working for you. Another reason is your timing's off. Uh, your timing's off. You're, you're trying to you know, date effectively too early in your life. Uh, you're maybe 17 and a half and you're you're trying to, you know, figure out life and uh, you're trying to get into a serious, healthy relationship with a guy. And it's just not working out. And it's because you're 17 and a half. And I get it in the Bible days. They married young like that. And maybe your great, great, great grandmother uh, who grew up on a on a, a farm in, in, uh you know, out in the country somewhere. She got married when she was 13 and, you know, had 26 kids and, and her and her husband were lived happily ever after. I, I get that. All right. Uh, Culture is a little differently. Our society has shifted in a way where that is very difficult to do and very difficult to accomplish. So, the will of God works with timing. It always does. So, you may be approaching this too early for yourself. It may be a better idea for you to graduate high school first, maybe, or get your GED, your good enough diploma, perhaps, if they're still doing that thing. And then, maybe, perhaps, uh, learn to become employable. A college education is a good way to uh, to uh, approach this. or Internships or apprentice, apprenticeships or any of those things, becoming employable may be what God has for you first and then move into a dating relationship. Either that or you're having a hard time finding the will of God because you waited too long. You waited too long. Uh, you're at an age where pretty much everybody your age in the church is already married or they are content to be single and want to be single because of the past, because of God's calling. Um, It's very difficult for the will of God to work when you have waited too late. So you want to go into this on God's timing and working with the culture that you come from and working with what your family wants for you and working with what your pastor is teaching. So that's how God's will works. You need to be pursuing the will of God in God's timing, the right timing. And thirdly, while why dating is not working out for a lot of people in the apostolic church is people are acting like kids you know they're, they're 22 twenty 23 and they're acting like a, a 12 year old with a girlfriend and uh the emotions are high the drama's high everybody's playing games and all of that that's why dating gets weird and it causes problems for families the entire youth group the entire hyphen group and sometimes the entire church uh, you need to grow up dating is for the mature mind Dating is for the mature spirit. You've got to leave youth behind and become an adult. Marriage is for adults. If marriage is for adults, then dating should be for adults. And that's a question I get a lot. How old, you know, how old uh, can I be to start dating? Well, the Bible doesn't really give a uh, specific date on this. It doesn't. But my calculation, my ratio, my recommendation for this is on, on the age for dating is figure out how old you want to be when you get married. Uh, for a lot of you, I guarantee it you're picking some age between 25 and 27, 25, 26, 27. Maybe some of you said 28. Maybe some of you said 30. I don't, but very rarely does anybody say, Ooh, I'm going to get married when I'm, I'm 18, when I'm 19, I'm going to get married. I, I don't hear that nowadays. You know, but everybody's like, oh, I'm going to start dating when I'm 18. I'm, I'm 18 years old. It's time to start dating. And, and with no intention of getting married, they just want to get out and date and have fun. Have fun. You know, uh, you're doing it wrong. You need to be dating to get married. So what I think you do, what I recommend is figure out how old you want to be when you get married to get married. Count back about two or three years. And that's when you can start dating. Figure out how old you want to be when you get married. Count back two or three years. And that's when you can start dating. I think it's a good ratio. I think it's good. It's going to save yourself a lot of problems, save yourself a lot of money, save yourself from uh, a lot of setbacks. So if all those things are kind of lining up for you, you're probably uh, doing it the right way. If these things are not lining up for you, you have uh, too many friends of, of the opposite sex, your timing's way off, you're acting like a kid, yeah, dating's not going to work for you, okay? So learn a proper balance of friendships with the opposite sex get on a good time a timing schedule for yourself and act like an adult you're on your way to having a great dating experience which will lead to a great engagement and a great marriage And then in your teen years, your early 20s, the pressure of getting a Valentine's date for a banquet. Oh, Lord. Well, some of those didn't turn out so bad, I guess. But really, it's the Valentine's Day boxes and those little cards. Uh, They're horror stories for me. They're a disaster. Uh, You never knew what could be put in your box. And then you're trying to fill out Valentine's Day cards for uh, girls that are mean to you. And I I wish I would have known it then, you know, when I was seven years old in second grade, what I know now. Girls that are mean to guys, it's a sign that the girl likes them. It truly, truly is. And uh, then girls, the guy that is always uh, staring at you in class and always wanting to sit by you, always wanting to DM you, always wanting to talk to you. And he's weird and gross or whatever. It does look, that's a sign he likes you. Because guys aren't naturally overly kind. Guys aren't naturally overly nice. But they get around a girl they like, they don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. That is Valentine's Day. Tis the season. I don't understand it. It's freezing outside. There's snow and ice everywhere. Uh yeah, but somehow the roses, the uh the chocolates, all of that just uh get people in the mood for healthy relationships but you to me christmas and new years and 4th of july are the romantic times of the year the tr- the true times for romance the true times for relationships to begin the true time for relationships to uh for the, for there to be a proposal of marriage uh, not so much wedding days. you don't really see a whole lot of people getting married around Christmas time and, and Valentine's Day, but mostly it, between like Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day, that's the time people are typically getting in, engaged. That's when they do it. I'd, and uh, but I, I tend to think that Christmas and New Year's are romantic, and so is the Fourth uh, of July. but I don't know what it is about Valentine's Day, and we're not going to talk about the history of Saint Valentine's. Uh, Some people think it's pagan. You know, you have those people out there that uh, won't celebrate Easter and Christmas because it's pagan and won't celebrate Valentine's because it's pagan. OK, look, fine, whatever. Uh, d- Do what you must do, what you please do, what your conscience uh tells you. But, you know, good and well, I can find a lot of inconsistencies in that, but we're not going to do it because we're going to talk about the will of God. That's right. Getting engaged in the will of God. You know, you've heard of pre-marriage counseling. Yeah, that's good. Uh, most pastors do it. Most churches do that in some form or fashion, and that's a good thing, and it should never go away. You should be uh, always doing pre-marriage counseling. You know what? You should have um, some sort of marriage. I, I wouldn't say counseling. When You know, when you think of counselor, you think of, you know, that lady with dyed weird hair and, and big glasses and and coffee breath and very disorganized trying to uh, get into your head and project her own insanity on you. Of course, not all counselors are like that. I actually, I think counselors uh, do a great job, but that's just kind of the uh, stereotypical idea of it. I, I don't, I don't mean that in your marriage, but you should be attending marriage seminars. If your church has them, you should be Reading books about marriage. Mar- marriage is work, and it's something that takes smarts. It takes intellect. It takes wisdom. Uh, how to keep a good marriage, and keep it a good marriage means happiness, right? So yeah. Uh, but these days around here at Spirit Signal, we've got a a new revelation and a new idea in that pre-marriage counseling is not enough. You've got to have pre-engagement counseling, and not only that, but you need to have pre-dating. <laughs> Counseling. That's kind of what last week's episode was about uh, dating in the will of God. It was it was a pre dating uh, counseling session. And I know you're asking yourself, Justin Gleason. Oh, my God. This is a spiritual podcast. You should be talking to me about angels and demons and dreams and and casting out the devils and and why in the world is their military surrounded DC right now is is the Antichrist among us, you know, all of those things. And, you know, I love to talk about that stuff. But for those of you that don't think dating, engagement and marriage is spiritual, read your Bible. That's right. Read your Bible. Before angels were ever mentioned, before Armageddon is ever mentioned, there was Adam and Eve. That's right, Adam and Eve, and Adam knew his wife. That's right, and they had children. So, uh, you know, Adam and Eve really didn't date. I guess they kind of dated while Adam was waking up, but it was a quick engagement and a very quick marriage, which uh, the Bible endorses. I I endorse it. Hey, if it works, it works. Our culture's kind of shifted and changed a little bit and we try to do things right you know for our people and for the way we live our lives and things like that but i'll tell you why it marriage is spiritual it is very spiritual you you like it. you know the bible likens the relationship between the lord and the church to be like a husband and a and a bride okay it's it's very spiritual uh yeah your marriage can either entertain god and the angels or can entertain the devil so Yeah, it it is very spiritual. That's why I want to talk about it. And plus, uh, we've received a lot of great responses from our audience. So we try to talk about the felt needs, wants, and desires, and the cravings of the Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason audience. But it's a couple other reasons why I want to talk about engagement in the will of God. Is people are screwing up their lives. That's a big reason. People are walking with God have a citizenship in heaven are one-on-one with Jesus, them and Jesus going strong. And then all of a sudden they start dating wrong, dating out of the will of God, get engaged wrong. And they're left flat, broke left with nothing. And because they did it wrong. And so we want to offer uh spiritual insight, biblical wisdom and our own personal experiences into this subject. So you don't mess up your life. Okay. And there are people out there, and this, this is really the main reason, there are people out there that want God to give them their wife. That's right. There are spiritual men out there that want God to give them their wife. They don't want to be set up. They don't want to have to uh, do strange worldly means by getting a spouse. They want God to make it happen. There are women out there that are depending upon God to give them their husband. See, I believe everything should come from God. You know, we seek him for everything. Your, your job, your education, your career, all of those things should come from God. And you should be able to uh, articulate it. You should be able to tell people about it. The car you drive, there should be a story where you can say, God gave me this car. Your home, you should be able to say, God gave me this house. You know, you need to be looking for the signs, you know, the things that are not coincidences. That God blessed you with this and gave you that. Everything in your life should come from God, our Heavenly Father. And most importantly, who you marry. Who you marry should bear witness. It should have signs. There should be a testimony behind it of the glory and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you're back here to listen. And I am certainly back here to talk and drink a little coffee. Oh, I've been, I have sweetened this coffee up with stevia And it's actually not that bad It's got a great taste to it I can't say I'm going to be doing that for the rest of my life But you got to change it up every once in a while You know, every once in a while you got to put steak sauce on a steak You know what? I don't really put steak sauce on steaks Every once in a while But usually I put it on a potato Oh, it tastes so good on a baked potato Baked potato steak sauce You, uh, you did a phenomenal piece on Jezebel, and obviously she was uh, wicked. <laughs> mm. And uh, Yitzabel, right?
2: Yitzabel, yes. <laughs> yeah, Yitzabel. Yeah. Lo- I
0: love that, those uh, Hebrew pronunciations. I'm actually uh, planning a trip to Israel, I'm gonna Ooh. host one. Yeah. In 2022, the details aren't there, but uh, we're we're working something out. So uh, we'll be watching for that. But you think the, you know, uh, John wrote about the spirit of Jezebel in Revelation. Do you see the spirit of Jezebel existing in the world and the church today? I hear it preached about, but what's your take on it? What does it look like?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It exists. It is definitely here. It's very present. Um, I mentioned in that podcast episode that there are two versions. Kind of like there's the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, which anyone could be influenced by. But then there's also the physical Antichrist in the end time. It's the same thing with the spirit of Jezebel. There is a by and large spirit of Jezebel that we see active from um, a macro level. But then there's also a spirit of a Jezebel that can influence people on a micro level, and. In my opinion, after studying it out and researching it, uh, I believe that the spirit of Jezebel is, by and large, is a spirit that entices people who are uh, people of faith into immorality and into idolatry, using cunning and deceit. And it's a seductive spirit, not seductive in the sexual sense, but seductive in the the spiritual adultery sense, where we're committing yeah. adultery against God, which is really a bad crime you don't want to be known for but it's definitely an operation by and large but then i've also seen it in operation in specific lives i'm not going to get into that too much right now because i'm not trying to call anybody out on your podcast but um what i do there's
0: people popping up in my head right now but i'm not going to say no names (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: i think by and large what we can say operating in the church i'm going to call it out as feminism this women are not just equal, but superior to men. And um, I see that all over the place in the world, but unfortunately, I'm starting to see that creep into the church. It seems that women in the church are taking the chip on the shoulder that women in the world Mm. have and acting like the same problems in the world exist in the church, and they don't. They don't exist in the church. The truth is women are to be in submission to men. That is the way God ordained the church to be. That was his plan all along. Wife to husband to Christ church to pastor to Christ. Those are the two hierarchies we have in Scripture. And so, it's protective, though. That's so important to know. It's it's protective. It's not intended to restrict women, to inhibit women, to keep women from living to their full potential. It's not saying women are worth less than men. It's saying that women were designed to be protected. And that's beautiful. That's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. thing. <laughs> that's not ugly. Um, and I would... I don't know how hard to go in on this, (laughs) but I I would like to caution women when you're seeking authority to ask yourself, why are you seeking authority? You know, really pause and ask yourself, why do I want to be in charge right now? Has someone hurt me that I'm trying to disprove? What am I trying to prove by being in charge? And is authority being handed to me or am I manipulating it into existence? I think that last one is very important. I've seen a lot of women make grabs for power that have led to destruction not only in their personal lives, but out further to the family and then out further from that to the church in large. And it's devastating. Women are very powerful because they are supposed to be a safe place for their husbands. Now, it's easy for me to talk because I am single. (laughs) But, you know, women are supposed to be a safe place for their husband. Women are supposed to be respecting of their husband. Something I see, unfortunately, happening more and more often as women in the church are gaining this chip on their shoulder is this spirit of disrespect towards their husband that they call teasing, but it's openly bashing. And you can tell the difference because it's not said with a smile, it's said with a scowl, and then at the end of it, they're like, oh, I was just kidding but your husband should have his Mm. trust in you. He should feel safe that when he turns the corner and walks out of earshot, you're not immediately gonna start making fun of him or telling your friends every single problem you have with him, or you know what I mean? Again, all this very easy for me to say as a single woman. (laughs) God hasn't tested me on this yet, but this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the woman is to be in submission to man and that for women, we receive love. For men, they wanna receive respect. That's very, sure. very important. It's very clearly laid out in Ephesians chapter five. And then, Yes. sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no. Yes. Keep going.
2: I, I guess I would say too, uh, because I know this is something I've heard a lot. Well, my husband's not saved, so I'm the spiritual head of my family. Well, even if that's the case, the Bible says to submit in that case too. First Peter chapter three, Peter explicitly says to submit because if you'll submit, you can win your husband with submission and your conversation or the way you live, the way you speak, the yeah. way you act. As long as we follow the hierarchies outlined in scripture, things will flow because the spirit will advocate for you with your husband. And it's the same thing outside of marriage. Women, if we're in submission as we're supposed to be, as God ordained, then the spirit will advocate advocate for us with men. We don't have to advocate for ourselves. Hmm.
0: Wow. That is deep. I'm almost like speechless. Wow.
2: <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> You're very I, wise. So I was, I was kind of nervous about I, this question, to be honest with you. I love
0: the guy. Your answer is phenomenal. Uh, I could just, I just feel the Holy ghost in the office, uh, hearing that answer. Wow. Powerful.
3: seems so queer today Why not yesterday instant replay? There I go again without having anything to say!
0: Okay, so let's say you're getting your license. Alright, let me just be upfront with you. Don't assume that you getting a license is all of a sudden uh, like this a legalization for ministry. Okay, a license is not like a driver's license or a passport. You know, you can pray people through to the Holy Ghost without that license. Let, let me just tell you that, okay? Remember, it's, it's about the vetting process. It's about showing you're in good standing. It's about getting in the favor of the elders of the organization. To have that is a major blessing, so you will have a a added anointing on your life than you wouldn't have not have had before had you not had your license. But just don't, don't think that it legalizes you. It's like all of a sudden I am legal now. It's, you know, it is set in stone. You know, I am, yeah. it's not that way. It's not a legalization. You know, the only, can I tell you this? My, my license you know, I, I do talk about it, but the only times I've ever really showed that card is some hospitals that I go to. I, I want to park as close as I can to the front. I get out that UPCI card and I put it on my dash. So if security comes around and see somebody parked in clergy, they see, you know, the clergy sign and the UPC on that. They're going to leave me alone. That's really about all I ever use it for. You know, they don't check cards, you know, in a district conference or section conference or general conference or any of that. They just you know, a lot of people already know who I am, but even if they don't know who you are, they don't check that it's all an honor system. But it's just nice to have that card. But I've never used that card to get my foot in the door with anything legal. I've never you know, and I've gone to like uh you know, a federal buildings, you know, to be with people during their times of trouble. And I've never had to use that card. I had to use my driver's license. Yeah, you know, they just look you up and down. You say you're a preacher. They're like, "All right, come on in." You know, it's not a legal deal. It's not all of a sudden boom. You know, the doors are going to open wide, and everywhere you go, people are going to fall out. You know, you're just, you know, you don't. It's not that way. It's it's the favor and the anointing of the elders on your life. Okay, so also that segues into this next point. Don't assume that. Getting your license is all of a sudden going to just open up the doors for all this opportunity. You know, you got your license now, so hey, you're going to be preaching the next youth rally. No, that's not how it works. You know, you get your license, so all of a sudden, you know, bam, every missionary all over the world, you know, is going to be calling you to come preach crusades and in front of thousands and thousands and thousands are going to get the Holy Ghost and you're just going to get to be used and you're going to, everybody's going to see your videos and you're going to get all these friend requests. It does not work that way. Uh, don't be shocked if after you get your license, all of a sudden you're not doing as much as you once were. <laughs> Sometimes that happens, you know. God will test you. He'll test your attitude. He really does. All right, and then... Uh, Two major things that I see uh, young preachers, men and women, men and women who get their license, they all of a sudden start calling themselves reverend. Oh, my God. They change their username with an REV in front of it. Their email signature all of a sudden has an REV in front of it. They change their uh, greetings on their voicemail. Hi. Uh, this is Reverend Bob Schmendrick, you know, licensed with the UPC. Leave me a message. <laughs> don't call yourself Reverend. You do you want opportunity? You want to be taken seriously these days? Don't call yourself Reverend. The only guys who can call themselves Reverend are the guys that I would say that are at least forty years old in the ministry, because that's the term they used back then. Nowadays, I, I don't. I don't really like that term, Reverend. And people sometimes. Call they, they like to put it on, I guess, flyers out there. You're going to preach somewhere. They like to put reverend. I, maybe because they don't know what to call your brother. Doesn't seem good enough. They don't know if you're a pastor, associate pastor, youth pastor. What? They just call you reverend. I don't know. I just don't like the way that sounds. It, it doesn't sound Pentecostal to me. It doesn't sound spirit-filled to me. It sounds something else. So don't call yourself reverend. You shouldn't be calling yourself anything, really. When you, when you introduce yourself, first and last name. That's all you got to say. Let people call you the title. Let them use the term brother or reverend. You know, whatever. Stop calling yourself reverend. Don't, if you get a new Bible, don't get imprinted REV on that. You would, you just, you look like a dunce. Don't do it. You are, when you do that, you're taking yourself too seriously. And people, people who take themselves too seriously, nobody on the outside takes them seriously. I want to talk today about wedding day healthy relationship. I just got the revelation <clears throat> the other day. Actually, not the other day, uh, it was a couple years ago. I was watching uh, TV and these commercials came on for these dating apps, like matchmaker apps, you know, places to find you know somebody you know you i guess you put in your who you are what you look like what your interests are and through a computer program it generates people that are uh similar or looking for somebody like you and then you meet up and bam you know sparks fly and i just <laughs> i knew i knew those things really chances are they're not going to work just based upon all of the artificial smiles Of course, they're all actors on those things, but the way it was presented in the message, these girls would come on there, like the real people would come on there and they would say, I finally found a real relationship. I am now finally in a healthy relationship (laughs) and that's, and that's how they're selling it. And I thought, no, you're not. The real relationship and the healthy relationships are made by God. It's the ones where God ordains it. It's the ones where God brings it together. From the first moment you meet, to the first talk and you tell each other how you feel, to your engagement, your wedding day, and then your marriage, the rest of your lives. And, of course, being joint heirs together for the resurrection that is to come that Peter talks about in the New Testament. And I was a youth pastor for a long time and an associate pastor for a long time. And I'm and I'm knocking on the door 40. I still have some friends that are single. I still talk to a lot of people that are single. It's not like I got married and, ooh, now all of my friends can be married. No, I I love single people. And if you're called to be single, and there is a calling to be single, uh, don't tune out here. Who knows, you could be married Or maybe not. Maybe you're called to be single for a lifetime. But then again, you know, uh, you may have kids, you know, that need to hear this stuff, or a friend that needs to hear this stuff, or a sibling or somebody that needs to hear this stuff. This is uh, Bible doctrine and personal wisdom from me, from what I've observed, what's been revealed to me through the Holy Ghost, and, uh, you know, just in general, things that I have observed. And something that's really cool, (laughs) I think, about podcasting is I'm seeing it. I'm just seeing couples. I can, you know, glance down and look what's on their phones and looking at what's on social media. I am telling you right now, it used to be songs that would bring couples together. That's right. You know, back in the 90s, it was, the, you know, these R&B love songs, you know, that, you know, kids would be playing on their tape player. And, you know, if the guy really was into the girl, he'd make her a mixtape. Hey, those were real. I never made one. I never made anybody a mixtape. If anything, I made my own (laughs) mixtapes. But guys and girls would play these mixtapes, and you know, uh, feelings would develop. Well, nowadays, it's not that way. You know what I think is going on? It's podcasts. Once skating rinks used to clear out the rink and say, couples only, couples only, and they dim the lights and turn on the mirror ball, and it became really sparkly and so uh, magical, and they'd play, you know, some kind of love song a country song, an R&B song, a song like this, and couples that get out there and, and, you know, skate. And, you know, you had the married couples out there. Oh, how sweet. You know, you had the engaged couples. Well, then you had the 13 and (laughs) 14-year-old couple who get out there awkwardly because they have feelings for each other. Well, you know what? I think the skating rinks are about done with that. They're just going to start playing their favorite podcast and say couples get out here and skate right now that's right it used to be you know a guy and girl would be on a date in a car you know and he'd turn on a song you know at the at the right moment at the most romantic place you know on the route from from a to b and you know in hopes that all of a sudden that song would make that girl just completely uh fall in love with him it it doesn't work anymore it used to i i just don't think music has that effect <laughs> On people people generally don't want to listen to music when they want to fall in love. They, they listen to music when they want to break up. That's right. Everybody, Breakup songs are more popular nowadays than uh, makeup songs. Okay, and, and people listen to music when they're angry. They do. They listen to music when they're angry, sometimes when they're bored, when they're lonely, uh, when they're stressed, and oftentimes when they're trying to be uh, productive. And, and then, of course, for us uh, people in, in church, we listen to music to worship the Lord, too, which is the best music, by the way. But yeah, the romantic music is kind of becoming a thing of the past. And you know what I think is replacing it? It is podcasts. It sure is. I'm telling you right now it is. And, and you know, the day may even come when people aren't even having wedding songs anymore. They have wedding podcasts. And especially when you, know, you think about this, dating is already awkward enough. It's already very uncomfortable you know, to open up and tell a person how you really feel. And when you have feelings, especially for guys, it's difficult to find words, you know, when you have, when your heart, you know, goes after a, you know, beautiful apostolic lady that you that you just, that you're just falling in love with. It's difficult to talk. Sure is. And it's a good thing. Girls, if if he's that way, that is a good thing. It's a sign he doesn't have a massive ego. Uh, It's a sign also that he doesn't have an anger problem, by the way. Uh, just so you know, don't be turned off by that. Don't say, "Oh, he has no confidence." Uh, no, he's got all the confidence in the world, but he is really just swept away with you. So it's kind of hard to talk when you're swept away. So uh, remember that, you know, when you're making those, uh, trying to make judgments off those first impressions. But yeah, love songs are awkward. Worship music gets people in the mood for church, but not a relationship. You know, when you're on a date, you know, or (laughs) you're driving down the street, you know, listening to James Wilson or Draylin Young or Brian Pound or any of them, (laughs) Anthony (laughs) Tremble. You know, uh, uh, yeah, you're just not doing it. You know, I, I guess if you're wanting to have church, that's fine. But typically when you're on a date, you're not wanting to have church. You're wanting to have a relationship. Well, forget the love songs. There's a spirit behind them anyway. You don't want them. You know what you need? You need this podcast kick on this podcast. I'm being serious. I'm not trying to make you laugh. I know probably some of you are right now because you know I'm right. Love music, relationship music is awkward. Music nowadays is geared towards negative emotions. It's either negative emotions or worship. That's how it is. But podcasts, I think, are generating uh, interests. I think it's bringing people together. It's no longer a solidarity enjoyment. It's becoming a couple's Enjoyment. So maybe you're listening to this right now and you're uh, going on a youth outing with your youth group. Yeah. You're, you're in it. I can see it now. You're in the, the church van. Ugh. The church van. God bless them. And, Guy, you're in the front row. You've got your, your earphones on, and the girl you like, I mean, is right behind you. You can hear her giggling and laughing with your friends, and you're wondering, how am I ever going to talk to her? You know what you need to do? Don't make it about you, make it about your pod. And turn around and say, hey, I think you would really like to hear this. You're going to get her interest. And she's going to listen to Justin Gleason, hear his voice, hear him talking about relationships. She's going to think it's funny, and you two are going to share a laugh together. Then you're going to start talking about healthy relationships. And before you know it, you have a change in your relationship status. And it ultimately leads to a wedding day. That's right. Now, I'm... I'm for the guy making the moves. I'm for the guy making the initial first step. But sometimes, girls, you know that guy, he's made only a half step and you got to meet him halfway. I believe in that. And maybe you're at a hyphen event right now and you're a lady listener to this and uh, that really super hot, delicious man is across the room at your hyphen hangout. Maybe try walking over there. Take out one of your earbuds and give him the other one and stick it in his ear and let him hear this. And maybe finally he'll realize, you know what? I can open up. I'm not going to look like a fool. I will not get my heart broken. Uh, God is bringing us together. I'm just telling you right now. I know we think, oh, it's COVID, you know, we're in a state of emergency. And if I'm going to get married in this time, you know, you can't do the traditional means. Uh, uh-uh, We're coming out of this. We really are. And I'm, I'm telling you this. Your relationship is not going to begin with social media likes, or little hearts. It's not going to happen with tags and stories. You need God to help make this happen. You need a God thing. You know, we trust the Lord with our salvation. We trust the Lord with our college decisions, with our career decisions, with our major decisions. You need to have him in your decisions with who you date, who you get engaged to, who you uh, do the wedding day with and who, you, who you're married to. You got to have the will of God in all of these aspects. So yeah, podcasts are leading to a great wedding day. Because it's your- So let's talk about ways to make your wedding day special and maybe some signs. Maybe you might want to hold off and, you know, get things right because a wedding takes preparation. Very rarely do you see quick weddings anymore. The only time a quick engagement and quick wedding really works is when, you know, people are like 47, 48, 52, 56 years old. they have never been married. They go to a conference, you know, they both find out, oh, we're both called to, to you know, to be missionaries in Utspots and stand, you know, way across the ocean. And, you know, we, you know, they just get married quick and it's just a beautiful thing to live happily ever after. I like that. That is a beautiful thing. That is sweet. But for the most part, it's not like that. It's, it's, it's hard to leave where you are and to join somebody and it takes time and it takes planning, all that. So a, a sign that your wedding day needs to be put on hold is if your wedding day is very secretive. <laughs> the old saying, secrets don't make friends. If, if you're marrying in secret, that's because there's chaos around it. There is calamity from it. And I guess people out there think if we marry in secret and after we're married and everybody finds out we're married, no, nobody's going to cause me any problems. Ugh. If there's problems before your secretive wedding, there's going to be problems after your secretive wedding. That's the way it works. So uh, what do you have to hide? It, it, why Why should a marriage be hidden? Why should a marriage be hidden? You know, it, you need to do this right. And it, it needs to be done with witnesses. And it needs to be done with blessing. That's how you get God to move in your wedding. I guess, I guess if you don't want God on your wedding day, that's fine. Be secretive. You know, go down to the court, get it done. Go to Vegas, whatever. It's your business. I'll love you. I'll pray for you. but. uh do you want God on your wedding? Don't do that. You want God, bef- you want God on your wedding it needs to be done with witnesses, friends, family, man of God. The secret thing is um, it, it, you just God's usually not in it. He just isn't. Maybe a few here and there they are. And you, of course, you can have a, a, you know, people that elope can have a wonderful marriage. It's not very common, but the goal is a healthy relationship on a wedding day. And a healthy relationship results with God being there and everybody being there. Okay. All right. Uh, I wouldn't do a wedding day without the blessing. Very important. I, I emphasize that. I stress that you, people nowadays don't want to obtain favor. People nowadays just want to be promoted uh, based upon, you know, sometimes their race, sometimes their name, sometimes their status. And that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. You are only promoted based upon the favor of God and the favor of mankind. And you want people's blessing, you've got to earn trust. You know, Jesus said you will know men by their fruit. He also said don't judge, and so many people emphasize that. Don't judge. Let people do what they want. Everybody's okay. Don't you judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. judge." Totally taking that passage out of context. You will know people by their fruit, and you got to bring forth good fruit. John the Baptist taught that before Herod the schmuck beheaded him. Herod's in hell to this day, by the way. John is in paradise, and I cannot wait to meet him someday. Amen. The man of God who stood up for lawful marriage. And I'm here to this day in 2021 standing up for the same thing. Yet you need the blessing of God, and you get that through lawful marriage. The blessing of the pastor. You do that through properly courting, through properly dating. Through properly preparing your life for marriage. Uh, Become employable. Uh, Have a place to live. You know, a nice place to live. A place appropriate for a family. A place appropriate, definitely, for your first year of marriage. Okay? Do it right. You also, uh, let's get to some minor details here about the presence of God at your wedding. Uh, your ceremony needs to be about God. I'm not saying have church, you know, weddings need to be weddings. Funerals need to be funerals. I get it. You know, if you're, if you're one of the people that want people getting the Holy Ghost at your wedding, that's fine. <laughs> but really the wedding needs to be about the bride and groom, you know, it's the same way with the funeral, you know, it's about honoring uh, the deceased and, and comforting those who grieve, but Hey, the Holy Ghost breaks out. You want that? Uh, that that's your business. Okay. We really don't do that around here at our local church. Very rare does, you know, a move of God happen. A move of God happens in worship service. Come on, somebody. All right. So, but your ceremony needs to be about God and you do it right. You do it in the spirit of peace and God will be there. Uh, your music. I, t- I told you we need to be getting away from uh, music and get, start playing podcast in the wedding. Of course, I'm kind of being silly, but hey, why not? But the music needs to be good, good songs. I'm not saying you need to have a worship song in your wedding. You know, a love song is, is appropriate. You know, some with a good message. And a lot of music, romance music nowadays, it's not about marriage, it's about hooking up. Do you want to have a hookup song at your wedding? Is that what you and your husband are doing? Hooking up? No. So typically, the older music was about love, fidelity, marriage, all of that great wedding day stuff. The, the old stuff is good. So, and then you need to have a, an anointed singer singing it, okay? Somebody's gifted. Somebody who uh, uh, is used of God. Uh, your your backslidden cousin uh, getting out, there, getting up there with her uh, thighs and cleavage hanging out, trying to trying to sing a romance song. Yeah, God ain't gonna move. It's gonna it's gonna be awkward. You know, she's been backslidden for fifteen years and tries to get in the old anointing she had. and She's raising up her arm, you know, with her, with, her, with her with her collarbone and her big fat shoulder and her hideous armpit hanging out. And the, the cleavage in the thighs. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? God ain't going to move. And, and it's going to make the minister feel uncomfortable. Ugh. And everybody else feel uncomfortable. You know, who cares about your cousin's feelings? I care about how God feels about it. See, so yeah, I wouldn't even have any backsliders in your wedding party. I wouldn't have any sinners in your wedding party. You want God? You need to have godly people in, in your wedding party close by you. That's how it works. That's what I've seen what i've observed also uh this is important tell your wedding party and everyone else there no jokes or foolishness uh, during the wedding ceremony that's right don't be blowing the air horns uh, don't do that stupid uh, oh where's the ring we're missing the ring that's not funny anymore marriage is serious do you really think this is a joke with all of the divorce out there and the infidelity out there, it's, it's no time to joke anymore. Do you think God's there to joke? Do you think the pastor's there to joke? It's stupid. So grooms, get your groomsmen together and say, guys, we're going to have fun the night before. We're going to have fun during the reception. But during this ceremony, don't none of you uh, do anything stupid. I'll never speak to you again. I, you know, this, me and me and the bride, this is serious. This is our day. We want God to be there. So no fooling around. Do what you're supposed to do and smile and be happy for us. OK, you get you got to do that. I'm, I'm serious. I've seen people do the air horns uh, during the vows. Uh, some guys pulled out these stupid looking masks and put them on. You know, vows are sacred. That's when you want God to move. You got to have that. That's all. Uh, couples are getting away from big weddings, even before covid uh, getting away from big weddings. And I, I like this. I think simple classy weddings is a good new trend that is emerging in these days. You know it used to be you invited everybody, you invited your whole church, you invited all the churches you invited everybody and everybody came. and you end up spending a bunch of money on a bunch of people that you don't even know and don't, they don't even really care about you that you're not even a part of their same world. you know then you got the wedding crasher. Now people there, you need to have people that you really care about. That's who you want to send an invite to. And that is who you want there. You want God there. You want it to feel special. You want it to feel memorable. You want no problems. That's how you do it. Uh, I don't care if you're related to them. If they're drama and stupid and they're going to show up drunk, they're not invited. Uh, You you got that uncle who's a pervert. Uh, Don't invite him. I wouldn't have him there. Who cares? They can get over it. Whatever. That's all. Make it about God. Make it about church. Make it about your Bible. Make it about each other. Weddings are important. Mankind began in the Bible with a wedding. That's right. Jesus' first miracle. It wasn't wasn't at a house. It wasn't at a get-together. It was at a wedding. And what does the Bible story end with? A wedding. Weddings, weddings, weddings. God loves weddings. Jesus likened his return to a wedding. Wedding. You know the ten ten virgins uh weddings were seasonal. It was during this uh the springtime and and, and that's what it happens to us to this day. you know engagements typically happen between Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day. That's when people get engaged usually somewhere around in there and then people usually get married from Mother's Day to Labor Day. That's how it works and that's how it worked kind of back then. Usually it was early spring when people got married and the girls who were espoused. They would put them all together in the same house so they all could have that positive energy off each other. We're all getting married, getting excited, you know, and not have the, the drama of the mother, the mother-in-law. <laughs> it was all the bridesmaids all together. And, you know, back then they really didn't have set days. They had set seasons. This is the season we're going to get married. And soon as the father and son had the house prepared and ready to go for a wedding, you know, the heavy preparation, you know, you, you, you got into it ready to go. As soon as that was done, hey, get the wagon, get the, get, get the donkey, let's go. And they'd show up late at night, and the girls knew it was coming. They know the day, didn't know the hour, but they knew it was coming. So you had to have your lamps ready, your dress ready, all of that. And, and uh, you got married that night, and you celebrated, and you lived happily ever after. So yeah, some were foolish, some were uh, wise. But Jesus likens his return to a wedding, so Jesus loves weddings. You want a healthy relationship wedding day? Make it about God, not your cousin with the cleavage. I'm Justin Gleason. It is the people that want attention the most. They're the ones that get it the least. It is the loudest person in the room that is usually the weakest. Those who are self-empowered, self-positioned, and self-promoted are usually the underachievers in life, right? It's those people that will just overpromise and under-deliver. The self-promoter, they, they want set success right now, right now, and they want it big, and they just want it to just, bam, boom, wow, be handed to them. They don't want to work for it. They don't want to prepare themselves for it. They don't want to strive for it. They don't want a journey for it. They just want it handed to them right then and there. I, I'm not old, but I, I feel like I'm from like a, a new, an older generation than the one here and now. See, back in the 80s and 90s, kids would talk about how they would improve themselves. What they would do to better themselves. But nowadays, I hear kids, all they want to talk about is what they're entitled to. And what can be given to them and what... <laughs> You know, what program they can get into. Now, these principles, they do apply to business. They do apply to career. They apply to just life in general. But what I'm really talking about is ministry, the work of God. And I think the real question that the church is having to ask itself is when we approach the ministry, do we have a real burden for the work of God? or rather a burden for ourselves, ourselves to be seen, ourselves to be heard, ourselves to be promoted. You know, summertime is here, and I'm so glad. I'm excited about this summer. And it looks like a lot of districts, they're opening up their camps. They're opening up their conferences. They're doing the big things here. And you know it, there's always going to be one service dedicated to the call of God. Who will go? Who will minister? Who will go forth and win souls? Who will make disciples is really a better question to ask. And I get it. I've done that. It's smart. We got to do this as preachers. We got to do this as men of God. You know, it's, it's the throwing the net out approach. You know, you try to draw in as many people as possible to get them to commit to do something for God. And, you know, the the preachers, they're saying it to everybody out there. I mean, everybody out there from every walk of life, every different kind of attitude, different spirit, different whatever. And the preachers are saying it and they're screaming it and they're sweating it and they're snarling it and they're snorting it. Get ready, get ready, get ready to be used. You are chosen. You are called. God is going to use you mightily. You will do great things. You know, then you have the uh, dreaded uh, single girl get up there and talk about missions and she'll scream and shout and holler, All these poor people, who will go? All of these starving, hungry people, who will go? You know, then you got the, uh, the organ player over there, starts leading everybody. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody runs forward and everybody just assumes this means that next week we're going to get phone calls to be conference preachers. This means next week when we go home, we're going to get a solo in church. This means next week my pastor is going to give me a title, and my picture and my name and my title is going to be seen right there on our church webpage. I mean, that, that, that's just the way it's preached. That's what ministry is. <laughs> it's the pulpit. It's the solo and the title that's being used of God mightily. Uh, No. And, and it's sad when kids come home from these camps to their church. No pulpit, no solo, no title, and they're wondering, did I miss it? Did I miss the call of God? Uh, What happened? Where did I go wrong? Well, Justin Gleason, the podcast host who you love and you trust, is going to explain it to you here. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter number 14 and verse number seven. So he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give this place to this man, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place but when you are invited go and sit down in the lowest place so that when you so that when he who invited you comes he may say to you friend go up higher then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted Every young, aspiring guy or girl that wants to be in the ministry, you need to highlight that in your Bible. You need to get very familiar with that parable, that teaching in Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. You want to be promoted. You want to be used. You want to be a leader. You want to inspire others. You want that pulpit. You want that solo. You want that title then you need to sit in the lowest seat possible. That's right. And now back then, you know, they had certain seats that were like given to honor. You know, we kind of do this nowadays, you know, like the head of the kitchen table. You know, I know my dad sits at the head of our table. Never would I sit in that spot. That's dad's spot, patriarch of the family. Never would my brothers sit there. I don't even want my children sitting there. That's papa's spot. I mean, even in the living room, the comfy chair, unless uh, Papa is nowhere to be seen, uh, that's the only time I would ever sit in that chair. That's his chair. Grandkids crawling up on his lap. I don't sit in that chair. And the same thing in church. You know, you have maybe on your platform and maybe your front row a place where the pastor and guest preacher sit. Uh, Literally, don't sit there. You're probably going to be asked to be moved. (laughs) And I have seen this happen. Oh, yeah. I have seen people walk in. Uh, sometimes we'll have conferences. Conferences here come up, put their Bible right there in like the VIP seating, and then one of our ushers, one of our security, says, uh, "That's reserved for somebody else. Uh, please move." And we put a, a, a guest speaker's wife there. <laughs> Some big guy. Well, a big guy thinks he's great. <laughs> thinks he's a preacher. Thinks he deserves a spot up there next to Brother Stone King or something. Puts his Bible there, goes and walks around the whole church, prays for 20 minutes before service real loud, talking in tongues, clapping his hands. Thinks he's going to sit by Brother Stoneking, only to come back. One of the security says, uh, you can't sit there. And the whole place is filled up and we have a folding chair in the very back for you. I have seen this happen. True story. This is how ministry works. You start low and watch others promote you. That's how it works. And I, I learned this at a young age, and I'm so glad I did. And I'll tell you who I learned it from. I learned it from my, a, le- a lesson taught by my dad, but exampled by my cousin, Pastor Paul J. Pamer. Back in the mid-90s, Pastor Paul was in his early 20s, and I was in my early teens. And, and we're cousins. We're cousins. We share uh, grandparents, Charles and Marcella Dyson, who have already gone on to be with the Lord. Can't wait to join them in heaven. So all our family would get together down there in Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, we would go to the local apostolic church there. And it was always around Christmas time. And if if you've grown up in church, you know anything about church. Christmas time is sweet. It's special. It's cute, but it's really not really churchy, you know. Uh, <laughs> rarely is there like a sovereign sweeping move of God at Christmas time. It's, it's just the mood we're in, you know, and it's, and it's really just a sweet special time. You know, it's, it's the time to think of our Lord as a baby. It's just how it is. And uh, usually pastors don't like to preach during that time. They usually let guest speakers, you know, pastors got his mind. on just kind of taking a break, you know, and during that time, the pastor of the church at the time, Called up uh, Pastor Paul and said, "I want you to preach this service." You know, he's in his early twenties. He's uh, in Bible college. You know, give him an opportunity. So all our family comes in. We sit down, kind of in the back. You know, we're just just there, family visiting grandma. You know, and and I see Paul, my cousin, walk in. I knew he was scheduled to preach, and I was actually really excited to hear him preach. You know, I look up to Paul. Paul's awesome. Paul's great. Still do. Still look up to him. And I I watched him walk in, and this was one of those churches that had enormous platform chairs. I mean, big, high back, looked like British royalty, you know. They really did it right. And I saw him walk in, and instead of Paul walking up to the platform, he walks up and sits at the front row. I mean, he's just sitting there on the front row. And I thought that was so odd, you know. I thought, man, uh, preachers need to sit on the platform, right? And uh, I just observed, and I watched in the middle of that song service. Uh, the pastor came down and said, and whispered into Paul's ear. And I could tell; I just knew what he was saying. Come up and sit by me. And so he invited him up on the platform and put him in a very nice seat next to him. Time for the preaching came. Paul preached the house down, and we had a, a, a move of God there on Christmas Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Then we went out and enjoyed the great taste of Arkansas, some fried fish. Mm. So, after a few days, I asked my dad about that. I said, Dad, why didn't PJ go up there and sit on the platform? Why did he sit on the first pew? That's really interesting to me. That's not normal to me. And Dad said, Just, let me tell you something. And he opened up his Bible, and he turned to Luke 14, and he taught me this principle. He said, When you're invited to go anywhere, you never go to the highest seat or the highest place. He said, you start small and you wait to be invited. That's what Paul was doing there. You know, to walk up on that platform is to be presumptuous and just assume that you're welcome into that place. Oh, no, that's, you know, the platform really is like a house. You know, you just don't go barging into somebody's house. You knock and you wait for the door to be open to you. That's how ministry opportunity works. You start doing small things like preaching Christmas Sundays. You know, Christmas Sunday is a hard thing to preach. You know, it's hard to prepare for that. You know, you got the food and you got the, the presents and the family time. Who has time to prepare for a sermon? You know, you're going to have to give up some family time. You're going to have to get up some of the feeling of relaxation. And you got to have the stress and the nerves of preaching. And Pastor Paul was willing to do that. He was willing to sit there in that front row spot. You know? And, and if that pastor said, I want you to preach down in the altar area the entire service, you know what, Brother Paul, he, he would have done that. That's just how he is. He's done it right. And, and can, I, can I just, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this. He's gone from doing things like that to now pastoring a phenomenal, a very successful church. Great social media presence. Not only that, he is a conference speaker. I see his name and his picture on flyers everywhere. But, N-A-Y-C, major conferences. You think it was just like overnight, bam, Brother Mangan's calling him up and saying, hey, Brother Pamer, I want you to preach. Oh, no, it didn't just, (laughs) that's not where it started. It started from sitting on the front row and preaching in 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 a Christmas service. That is the lowly seat. I'm just here to tell you, as we begin this summer, As many of you are making plans and what you're going to do maybe this coming school year, preparing for education, preparing for ministry, things you're going to be doing this summer, all the conferences and revivals and things you have planned. You need to understand this. If you have aspirations to be in ministry, if you are called of God, and I trust that you are, I'm telling you right now, if you self-promote, get ready to watch yourself be demoted. You know the phrase in church, I got sat down. You know what that's code for? I did some major sins. Somebody was sinning, and the pastor said, uh, you're not going to be in the choir for, for a few months, and that's a good thing. you know. Uh, somebody, somebody gets uh, caught up into some fornication, some adultery, some uh, gossip, whatever. They need to be sat down. You need to humble yourself. You need to pray through and get your spirit right before you're back on that platform, or really in any part of ministry, teaching classes, it, it, anything. You need to do that. But nowadays, it ain't just about getting sat down for sin. It's about getting sat down for self-promotion. have changed. And they always do. You know, growing up as an 80s and 90s kids, I here hear the old timers say, well, back in my day, it used to be and all the things you face nowadays. Well, I'm that guy now. Things have changed since I was in school. You see, when you went back to school, it, it, everybody was, uh, it used to be you were worried about possibly getting in with the wrong crowd. That's what they used to say, getting in with the wrong crowd. And if you got in trouble, that's usually what your teacher would say to you. It's what your principal would say to you you know, in, in his office, looking at you, glaring at you right in your face. You got in with the wrong crowd. Uh, that's what the police would say to you. That's what the, the juvenile detention guard would say to you. That's what the judge would say to you. You got in with the wrong crowd. And usually how that started with you would uh, eat your lunch and then you'd uh, crawl under the table and, and go through the door outside and skip outside and go around the corner where there was nobody watching, no teachers, no security, nothing. And you would go where the air conditioners were, and kind of sit behind there, and you would smoke a few cigarettes. That's where it all started. The the with the kids that would smoke cigarettes uh, quickly during lunch, behind the cafeteria, or after school, you'd sneak behind the or underneath the bleachers and make out. Guy and girl, they would they would make out underneath the bleachers. That that was the wrong crowd. Or uh, you found a guy who uh, took a. Uh, a hammer and a chisel from geology class, and he bore a hole uh, in some corner in some vent, some duck somewhere, and bore a hole right above the girls' locker room. And that pervert would peep into the girls' locker room, and he would uh, charge guys like, hey, man, give you, give me 20 bucks, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll show you a, a good time. That was getting in with the wrong crowd, okay? And some of you that are older, you know what I am talking about. That was the wrong crowd. And... You know, it just didn't stop there. It led to even more craziness. It led to theft. It led to stealing. It led to uh, getting involved in gangs, getting involved in all kinds of corruption. And that's where it all starts, with with cigarettes and making out uh, underneath the bleachers. You get in with the wrong crowd. Well, all that stuff is still there. It still is. But even more now, it's gotten even crazier. What about that kid who likes to show off his gay porn on his cell phone when the teacher's not looking? you know, to the whole class, holds up his phone, hey, look at what I'm looking at, right? Or that guy who now thinks he's a girl and he shows up dressing like a girl and everybody celebrates it and and it's okay and he's so brave and he's, you know, really, really exampling what a true hero really is. You know, things have just changed in the overall adolescent spectrum across this world. Now, I'm from the United States, right here in the heartland, the Midwest, Kansas City, Missouri. And and I'm speaking of what I see in my city, what I see in other towns that I'm familiar with, and just across the United States and here and there what I see posted from my friends up in Canada. Okay, so that's really where, where I'm talking about. That is where I'm coming from. You see, back when I grew up, it used to be girls would be proud to leave childhood and enter adolescence. And to develop into a woman. They were proud to start having their bosoms developed. Okay, now I know that's a little bit PG 13, and I am not, what I'm about to say here is not uh, sexual, it is not provocative, it is just simply biological development. But essentially, a girl was proud to become a woman as she would physically change. But nowadays, it's like, oh, honey, you don't know if you're a woman yet. You can choose. Do you feel like you want to be a guy? Do you see those guys throwing around the football and playing basketball and, and you know, in shop class and being strong leaders? You know, if that's really what you want to be, then you can be it. We can fix you up with a nice surgery and make you look like a boy. We can do it. It's great. It's cool. You can do it. It's great. We'll, we'll celebrate you. We'll vote you in as class president, right? Or how about guys? It, it used to be it was, like, considered a, a thing to be proud of to start to have the bulge in the pants, right? I remember when we were, <laughs> like, in fourth grade and, you know, they, they separated the guys from the girls. I, I doubt they even do that anymore. They probably keep the guys and the girls together and, and, sh- and show them videos on how to be gay and how to be a trans. And if you're questioning what further steps you can take with your, with your counselor. But back in the day, they used to separate the guys from the girls and they had this video of, of uh, a guy – like a like a fifth grader on Pitcher Day. Oh, that was the worst day of the year. Pitcher Day. Ugh, pitcher Day. But the kid is there with a the picture, and a nice looking girl walks by, you know, to get in line with the picture. And the boy loses his attention away from the photographer and camera and looks at the girl. And he gets feelings that he's never had before. And he looks down, looks down at himself. And the picture, the cameraman pushes the button and takes the picture, and it's not of the kid, you know smiling but rather it's him looking down and the whole school like laughs at him he gets embarrassed he runs out of the room and then they explain what happens there and how it's not funny and and all us guys are laughing and we think it's hilarious you know because it is funny because it was all unknown to us well see because back back then they the teachers you know encouraged you're now leaving childhood and becoming a man and this is your biology and it felt like most of them back then taught and believed and kind of hinted to the fact that this is the way God created girls and this is the way God created boys. And in my opinion, schools have no business teaching that stuff, have no business even covering puberty and, and sexuality and the development of the body. You know, our, 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 our private parts are the, the most personal, intimate parts of our humanity. That's something that parents should cover. But we all know the family really has failed their children. That's really the problem. It is the family. You see it. You see it in school. Schools didn't cover that stuff because little boys and girls had good dads and good moms and good grandparents and good aunts and uncles and cousins and they had a strong family unit. But the insane left came in and completely destroyed the family that you don't need families. You need the community. You need the village. That's right, it takes the village. Oh, no, God didn't create the community, the village. He created the family. That's what he established. Adam and Eve, therefore a man, shall leave his father and mother. Take unto himself his wife, they shall be one flesh, and go forth and multiply. Should there
3: on morning.
0: some people, uh, Bible college is not what it should be. And I feel to talk about these things with you all. Every year, every semester, every Bible college, whether it's UPC or some independent or whatever organization, other oneness apostolic organization, I know we're supposed to be holy people, we're supposed to be godly people, we're supposed to be separate people, but, you know, there's always the wheat among the tares. There's always a wolf among the sheep, and among the best you can find, the worst. And I went to eight semesters of Bible college, and it seems like every semester there was always that creepy guy uh, that was there at Bible college, sniffing around, just looking for a wife. Sometimes they were a student, sometimes they were like, you know, the uh, 43-year-old single dude uh, hanging around the the uh, commons area trying to uh, date a 19-year-old girl. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, and I'm sure a few faces and a few names are already popping up in your mind. Okay, Uh, listen to Justin. Take my advice. Stay away, and uh, report it to your campus pastor, or even you know, like uh, even like churches nowadays. You got the the church hoppers. Man, people are church hopping again. Uh, I think the COVID restrictions. Everybody feels like it's over. Whatever they want to move on with their life, and they're starting to do the church hop thing again. But what about these guys that church hop? Not led of the spirit. Uh not there for uh to become under a pastoral authority or to you know to grow spiritually or whatever. Maybe the church they're coming from uh, there's a lot of major problems and they're just looking for a better environment. Now, I'm talking about the guy that church shops because he's looking for a wife. Oh, that's creepy. And you can see him a mile away. Or that or that dude that just crashes your hyphen party just because he's looking for a wife. Uh that's creepy, and that's just not how it works. It's not being spirit led. And that, that happens at Bible college, and it just it, it ruins it for a lot of people. Uh, don't be that guy. And all of the good guys, you need to do what you can to protect the girls from those type of dudes. So it, I can only think of one guy that actually went to something that had to do with God, Bible, and church for girls, but actually walked out of it closer to God. And that's evangelist Chris Green. You remember a general conference a few years ago? He got up there and said, I, I uh, had never been to a UPC or a holiness uh, event, never been to a, a church, never been to a conference, never been to a camp, but I heard about Texas camp meeting, and I heard there was girls, so I thought I would go because there was girls. He said, I walked in there looking for girls, but all of a sudden, I found the power of God, the true Jesus, the true message, <laughs> the true Christian life, and he just uh, had a powerful experience with God, and now he's... One of our great evangelists in the Apostolic Church, he went there for uh, girls, but he actually got God. That is a a rare instance. I've ne- never heard of another guy that that was on the hunt for a for a, a girlfriend or wife, whatever, and found God other than Chris Green. <laughs> so, uh, so it's a very very rare thing. So, uh, but I. I <laughs> Maybe some of you, the next time you see Chris Green, say, lay hands on me. I'm looking for a while. Let the world crash,
3: love can take it. Oh, let the world come and down. Oh, let the world crash, love can take it. Love can take a little.
4: I just believe that the church cannot become skeptical of the miraculous in this season because they pray for people that have COVID. Let's use that for example. Mm. They pray for people that have COVID and they they don't get healed. Um, and it was the Lord that told me, um, because I had been just thinking of that and pondering why is it that we pray and people still die of COVID? And the Lord made me to know that we do not have authority over COVID. Hmm. And because COVID is not a disease, it's a pestilence. Hmm. It is a pestilence. Yeah, God and never we, gave us
0: power over pestilence.
4: There's one thing that turns a pestilence. And we quote the scripture all the time, but we do not read the verse before it. We quote we quote Second Chronicles seven fourteen. We quote that scripture. I don't mean this rudely, but we quote it like a lucky rabbit's foot. Uh, (laughs) If my people, you know, uh, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and we go through all that, but we don't read the verse before it. Because the verse before it tells us, "If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send the pestilence among my people, the only thing that can turn a pestilence is the repentance of the church, Wow.
0: Man, bro, I feel the Holy Ghost. My Lord. Yep, that's That's a witness. That's it.
4: That's the only thing. And the Lord told me in August of 2020, I feel a witness of the Holy Ghost on this. In August of 2020, God asked me, He said, Do you want to know how to turn this around? And I said, Yes. And he takes me, he took me to the book of Joel, chapter 2, and verse 15, he said, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, get the elders together, gather the children, get the nursing mothers Get the bridegroom. He leaves nobody out. And then he says, then I want the priests, the ministers of the Lord. I want them to weep between the porch and the altar. And I want them to start saying, spare thy people, O Lord. And what what he was saying was, I want there to be a time of consecration. I want there to be a time of rending your hearts and not your garments. I want there to be a time of repentance. And he said, he said, if my people would come before me and, you know, we have a large constituency of ministry Uh, in North America, we have in the United Pentecostal church international, we have over 10,000 ministers in North America. Yes. And the Lord made me to know that at that 10, those 10,000 ministers would come before him at the same time on the same days, and they would come and they would repent before the Lord. Then he would turn the tide. He would turn the tide. Mm. And as to my, the best of my knowledge, that never happened as, as a, constituency but i still believe that god's looking for that
1: yes he is god's
4: looking for that and so the thing that turns a pestilence is repentance the thing that Mm. brings the thing that brings the gallows down The thing that brings Haman's gallows down was three days of of fasting. Esther said, the only way the scepter is going to get extended to me, because it's an unscheduled appointment. And she said, the only way we're going to get out of this is if you'll fast with me for three days. Or else, Haman, or else Haman's diabolical plan is going to come is going to come to fruition. But when that nation got before God and and fasting, God heard and God turned the tide. Man, that's it. <clears throat> and. The answer is not having more meetings, as it were. Thank God for them. But that's not the answer. The answer, the answer is falling on our face and not preaching about prayer. And not preaching about repentance. Laying on our faces before God and prostrate asking God to turn the tide we know God's going to do what he's going to do prophetically from scripture we do know that but my brother the great the late the late prophet the great prophet Tom Willis Barnes mm-hmm said that America existed for three reasons. Number one, it was to send the gospel around the world. Number two, it was to protect the nation of Israel. And number three, to keep the Antichrist from showing up before its time.
3: Mm -hmm. And as
4: long as there is a... The Lord said to me, he said... He said, when the voice of my church is silent in my courts. The voice of the Antichrist is amplified upon the earth. So, the bride, the Bible said in the book of Revelation, that we need the spirit and the bride to say come. Yes. We need the spirit and the bride.
3: Mm.
0: Amen. Wow. Praise God. Praise his name. Praise
4: his I name. I feel this I feel the spirit of God. Amen. The Holy Ghost is with us.
3: Somebody say
0: A lot of churches right now, I think, feel small. Their pre COVID numbers just aren't back yet. And maybe they are with the online viewers and things like that. But that's just kind of the, just in seeing what, how people are talking on social media, other uh, uh, apostolic content creators out there, the way they're talking. It doesn't seem like anybody really is having big, booming revival right now. Everything feels kind of slow like we're still recovering from a sickness. What would you say to the pastor in the church right now is, you know, we're, our doors are open, we're having church, but we just feel small, we feel inadequate, we feel powerless. You know, how do they get to the place where it's like Gideon, 300 men taking on thousands of enemy soldiers? What's something to do for churches that just
1: feel small right now? You know, the Apostle Paul said that fire Uh, contrary to some people's theology, does not make us what we are, make us better. It exposes what we are. That's really what he said. Fire reveals whether we're built out of gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. So fire purifies the pure, and it destroys what is not pure. And I would say that COVID has exposed the fakes and pretenders from the committed and the sold out. Yes. Uh, There's a big difference between a crowd and a congregation. And the Hmm. crowd has not come back. The crowd has not recovered. The congregation has recovered. The congregation has come back. That's why everybody's down 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%. The most I heard in the last little bit is one congregation I know is still down 40%. That's significant. But I will say that the congregation is there. And if they're not in the house of God, there are still congregants who are committed, perhaps worried about all the variants and so on. But I go on our live stream. After it's been, you know, released. And I want to see who's tuning in. (laughs) Uh, I want to see who's there, who's with us. The congregation is there. And Jesus found out the difference between a crowd and a congregation in John chapter six, you know, when he preached commitment. And, you know, thousands walked away that day. But it was the The committed, or we could say the disciples, that were there with Jesus at the end of the day. And so I think, you know, to answer your question, the church is there. The church is alive. uh, Finances are good for the most part. You and I had coffee with a pastor and evangelist today. And they both had good reports about places where they've been. And the other pastor said our church finances are up. And so we, you know, it's not all about finances, but people's giving tells you where their heart is. Solomon said money answers everything. Yes. So and so it says something about morale, how people feel about their church, how they feel about the future. And so I think the church is healthy. I think the church is in a good place. The church will adjust. The church will adapt. In the early church, in the book of Acts, Jerusalem was clicking along just fine. Persecution comes. Everybody is scattered and goes everywhere preaching the word. It didn't hurt the church. It didn't work against the church. It worked for the church. Amen. And began to fulfill Jesus' prophecy about Judea, Samaria, uh, the uttermost part of the earth.
0: Praise God. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, the uh that's profound. The crowd has not recovered, but the congregation has recovered.